Hey everybody, welcome to episode 60 of the Masterclass. My name is Cam and I am joined by Mr. David Percival Hogue. How's it going? I'm well, and you? Uh, not better now that I know your middle name's Percival. That's, <laughs> that's wonderful. It gives you an air of distinction that, you know. An air of something. Well. All right, well, it's episode 60. Yay. Fireworks. That's crazy. And uh, we're going to do something a little different today. Yes, we are. Uh, we're going to take a break from our um, usual uh, inspiration or source material, that being the Gospel of Matthew. And we are going to do a topical show. So we will be many, many other places in the Bible than just the book of Matthew today. We're going to hop around quite a bit um, in the New Testament. Because our topic is, drumroll, Dave, what is it? What's our topic? Our topic. Don't keep the people waiting. <laughs> we are going to discuss uh, why did Jesus have to die for our sins? And then, uh, is it important, does it matter uh, if he was raised from the dead? So those are our two topics, which I don't think that's really taking a break. Well, <laughs> it's a break in the flow. Of, yeah, we are not. We are not. But uh, we're not like on vacation break. Oh no! Yeah, no. If we if we wanted to do that, we just would record a Mendoza line, <laughs> <laughs> talk about baseball. But um, yeah, so a break in in our um, pattern, but definitely not a break in. Um, Taking it easy. Yeah, this. I uh, I worked for like two hours on Saturday to do research for this, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I could do this for three weeks and still not be ready." Oh yeah. So, but hey, we're gonna go for it. Why not? We can answer all the world's problems in in a forty five minute podcast, <laughs> can't we? We can certainly try. First up, Donald Trump. How can we solve that problem? Yeah, that's that one goes beyond me. I just build a wall around him. Anyways, uh, we do have some follow-up, though, um, from some previous episodes that we would like to do right now. So, uh, friend of the show, Jerome, wrote in. It's been a while, but he's back sharing his thoughts with us. Uh, we did we didn't mention cats last episode. And them not being real people. Mm-hmm. And, well, he agrees <laughs> that cats are not equivalent to kids uh, because they're evil in his terms. Um, but dogs obviously are essential children, and he should be celebrated on Father's Day is what he wanted to uh, share with us. So um, I don't know how this became the Dogs versus Cats podcast, um, but I feel like I've done you – and our listeners a disservice by steering it in that direction. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, enough about pets. Uh, we can we can have that argument on uh, a different podcast that we'll call "Human or Not," and then we can have arguments there. Um, coming to a podcast player near you. Uh, but on a on a more serious note, uh, Jerome did have another piece of follow up um, about. Uh, what Jesus meant by taking up our cross uh, and dying to ourselves and, and, and following him. And so he says, I wonder if what Jesus means by taking up our cross and dying to ourselves is that we must follow Jesus into the space of living without a religious God. This idea is brought out well in the books Insurrection and Idolatry of God by Peter Rollins, but essentially it says that we have an innate desire to believe in and be loved by a supernatural God who will always save the day. Almost like the Superman or... Uh, Deus ex machina idea. Uh, as Rollins writes in his books, what we see on the cross is Jesus losing the religious God and experiencing something similar to atheism. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As an example. 
And what we see in the resurrection is that there is meaningful life in the aftermath of the loss of the religious God. Certainly, this doesn't mean the cross doesn't have other meanings as well, but this idea has really resonated with me in the past few years. As a note, there is a lot of nuance to this, so the argument is not that we are to live without God entirely, but without the interpretation of God that most Christians in the U.S. currently hold. Uh, I've not read Peter Rollins. I did a little research on him before the show just to get at least a idea of who he is and what he does. Um, I would have to read these books before I am able to comment on the idea because my initial reaction is no. Um, but I don't know what he means by religious God because those are two very, very potent terms that, depending on how they're defined, could completely change what they're saying here. Um, So I'm not really quite sure um, how to respond to... uh, to this idea. I'm certainly glad that, that drum brought it up because it's definitely not an idea that I'm familiar with or a, uh, a theological stance that I'm familiar with. So from that, from that perspective, I'm glad, um, that I'm being introduced to, uh, someone who thinks a lot differently about the stuff than I do. Um, you know, and whether that means that, that he's right and I'm wrong or vice versa, or it's just an exercise in, um, enjoying, uh, intellectual conversation about something that's important, that's good. So, uh, but as far as, as, as that idea is concerned, I don't have enough information to offer a, a, a response based on anything other than, I don't know, impulse, which is not really what I want to do. <laughs> that is probably a good thing. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on it, Dave? Um, it, yeah. It, Um, I do. I have lots of thoughts, but I'm like you. I'm I'm coming from a. I would be coming from a, a place of, of ignorance, having not, um, completely read that. But, um, things that that, you know, an innate desire to believe in and be loved by a supernatural God who will always save the day. Um, just reading that, I feel like there's sort of this naturalist or humanistic sort of view of uh, our desire to be loved by God. And I think that's a desire that is placed there by God. You know, it's kind of the whole idea that that man invented religion to kind of uh, experience the supernatural, something bigger than him, the things that he didn't understand. And that kind of stood out to me as, as a um um as a christian and someone who believes in a god creating us that desire is there because god put it there that's what we are created for it's not just an in, innate desire to be loved and saved by a a, new, a supernatural god um but it's is it saint augustine that talked about the god-shaped vacuum that we had in our life and and that that so to me, um, I, 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 it just seems like um, more of a humanistic, naturalistic sort of, um, you know, trying to explain this desire versus acknowledging that the, that desire was placed there uh, by God. And so without really being able to speak intelligently on that, uh, I won't say much more, <laughs> but to me, that's sort of that kind of rub of uh, kind of my first place of I don't totally agree or track with with what's being said there. Yeah, and I wonder, too, how much of that hinges on the we'll always save the day thing. Because to me, that's that's prosperity gospel. Always save the day. I get you. Well, and that's, I mean, in in that case, yeah, I I think that anyone who thinks that God, that God Mm -hmm. is always going to come in and save the day and your life's going to be perfect. Yeah, that's, that's not right. No, that's, that's, that's terrible theology. Um, but again, yeah, I think to your, to, to both our points without knowing more of, um, 
Rollins' uh, thoughts and ideas on this stuff. Obviously, never having heard of him, um, really not reading any of his stuff, I don't really know what his terms mean. Um, but again, um, am glad that this was brought up because I think this is a perspective perhaps that you and I are, are definitely not familiar with. Um, and so, uh, it's always good to hear from, you know, other, other perspectives on, on God and on scripture and, and, in in what are, uh, areas in, in my understanding that need to be challenged mm-hmm. because I'm either lazy or I'm just accepting something on face value without really doing the, the mental and spiritual work of trying to understand better who and what God is in my life. So, yeah. And, and even just that, you know, uh, the interpretation of God that most Christians in the U S currently hold. And again, that's, we've talked about that quite a bit that, you know, living during the time that we do in the, in the culture and the country that we do, uh, I do think there is some of that of just sort of, not we don't wrestle with it. We don't dig in deeper. We don't challenge what we just sort of accept as the norm and really uh, wrestle with that. So that part I definitely can, uh, you know, kind of get alongside and say, yeah, we probably should be doing that more. For sure. So if, uh, if, if Jerome is up for it and he wants to, you know, in all the spare time that he has, Maybe maybe give Dave and I a uh, overview of maybe what some of those terms mean, and maybe a, a broader picture of of what um, he shared there. I know I'd appreciate it. Uh, you don't have to, obviously, you know. But if you wanted to, I'd be okay with it. Mm-hmm. And that way, um, I don't have to read two whole books. <laughs> you be my personal cliff notes, please. That that would be nice. Um, but anyways, so thanks again for the follow-up. Uh, it's always good to hear from you. And um, if anybody else out there wants to join the conversation, we'd love to We'd love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. You know, because as we've said before, we'll say again, we don't know all the answers. We're not always right. We just have opinions and microphones. So <laughs> sure. uh, you can send your thoughts in um, on Twitter. Dave is at 10.8HBO, or eight's the only number. I'm at Cam Brennan, and you can email the show as well if you'd like. Uh, hello at supermegacorp.net, and go ahead and put Masterclass in the subject so we know where to send it. All right. I think it's time for us to get to our main topic, which is why did Jesus have to die for our sins, and does it really matter? if he was raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. So I think we'll take the first half first and the second half second, because, you know, that's what order is about, Dave. Yes. No anarchy on this show. <laughs> no. So I went up to the coffee shop on Saturday, and I brought my books, and I brought my iPad, and I did a bunch of reading and writing about mm-hmm. this very subject. And uh, I was going through my library of God books, and um, I pulled out an oldie. Oh, yeah. It is called, it's a bit of a tongue twister, so I'm going to make sure I read it, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ by John Owens. I believe it's from like 1852. Not my copy. My copy was printed like two years ago. (laughs) Um, But the original text is from uh, 1852, I believe. And uh, I only read the fur, well... The intro is like 44 pages long. So I started on chapter one, which is uh, page 45. And I think I only read like maybe five pages. And it took me two hours to write down the notes and look up the Bible references. Because here's what I've learned about modern writing versus old writing when it comes to theology. A lot of good... uh, let Let me back this up. The books that I read from bygone centuries and decades, right, is really, really good stuff. It's it's written incredibly well. It's incredibly uh, intelligent and well thought out and well spoken and dense. And then I look at, you know, 
the Christian section at Barnes and Noble or on Amazon or whatever, and you just see a whole bunch of garbage, right? And I have a theory about this. The good stuff lasts, right? So the uh-huh. reason the reason I have the availability to get a brand new copy of a book written a hundred and uh what sixty I don't know, almost 170 years ago. It's because it's that good that it stayed around, right? Right. Um, and so I have to remember that when I'm comparing, you know, theo- theo- oh my gosh, I can't talk, theology books, you know, from even the 1950s to now is that I can't compare that with, you know, Joel Osteen's book or I need to find someone else to pick on, but he always comes into <laughs> into mind. It's just, it it's such a reminder that, to me that the richness of theology is still there. There mm-hmm. just aren't as many um, resources that I'm aware of that are modern that it's, it, it, it's almost to me is like hymn writing versus modern worship song writing. You, you sing old hymns, and the words are so descriptive and so powerful and so um, just illustrative of the greatness of God, right? And then you, then you hear, you know, modern worship songs, and not all. Some there are some like we we sang a a, church, a song called "Faithful" in church on Sunday. That's incredibly powerful and really well written, but the other few songs we sang, I was like, it's kind of (laughs) cheesy. Happy Jesus loves me and we're happy. That sort of stuff. And there's not, the depth does not seem to be there when compared to it is well with my soul or, uh, we did sing be thou my vision, which is a great song. Um, but when I just, I found myself like I spent two hours reading five or six pages in right. the in the references and I mean it was just scriptures just boom 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 and I was just like oh this is so good and you know I could read an entire book by someone like Francis Chan who's I think an intelligent smart godly man who gives a rip about people and wants to know about Jesus mm-hmm. but his books are not five pages and two hours books they're the whole book in two hours right and. Maybe it's a different market. I don't know. But I was just blown away by how good that book is in the first five pages that I read. And there's a whole lot more to read. And it kind of scares me. So I might not finish it because. (laughs) (laughs) But before we even get into the actual content, I just, I don't know if that's your experience as well. If I'm just being mean to the new stuff and I need to cool it. Like, I don't know. But they're just. It just seems to have so much more substance. Um, yeah, I, I one, I guess, just outright, I do uh, agree with you on that. That uh, the substance isn't quite there. Um, and, and I think, I think it's like you said, the over time, the stuff that has a lot of substance to it continues to last. Um, I know we talk about him a lot here, but Dallas Willard is one of those people that, like, I truly believe Dallas Willard and Divine Conspiracy and some of his other work are going to be the books that people are reading 100 years from now um, from the 20th and the 21st century in terms of theology. Um, And then on top of that, you think about Dallas Willard, and we talked about this as well, he didn't write that book until later in life. I can't remember if he was late 50s, early 60s, or if I'm completely off on that. But uh, he didn't write it as a, as a young man, which is what essentially Francis Chan and a lot of these guys are. And uh, so I, I think there's some, uh, you know, just life experience and that sort of thing that comes from that. But uh, another one that I do think of who was a relatively young person was, was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, obviously C.S. Lewis earlier in the in the 20 or the 20th century. So um but then you know I also can remember uh origin uh boy and I can't remember 3rd century 4th century something like that. Uh one of the early Christian authors fathers well 
my understanding is he had seven scribes and he would literally dictate his books and they're like writing down as fast as they can. I, I got to get me some of those. And so, uh, and not everybody's that way. I'm not implying that, but I, I, I think point, that's a point taken. Jeez. That, that origin could, um, you know, he could write his stuff down and, um, I honestly, I'm, I'm frequently disappointed by, um, Christian publishers that put out Christian work because I, I, I think it, it so often comes down to making money, which I get it. You're running a business. The purpose of running a business is to make money. And I think things get churned out uh, quickly to have new things on the shelf. And I even think there's an element of books get turned out because it's what people want to hear. And um, they're very trendy. They don't, they don't last and they're gimmicky. Um, one of the, well, one of the books that's coming to mind is the Circle Maker. What's that? Uh, you you draw a circle around something and you pray for it and it'll happen. And it sounds like a séance. <laughs> and I, it even becomes. Where this, does that even come from? Uh, just move on, move on. We we have more things. Yeah, we have more important things. But here's the thing: I I don't want to negate what that person. I can't. I don't remember who the author of the Circle Maker is, but. There's an idea of drawing a circle and praying and claiming things, and I, I don't, I don't want to negate what that person had and what that person experienced, because God very well could have been in that. But what that suddenly becomes is it becomes this trendy, gimmicky. Well, everybody can do it. Draw a circle and claim it, and it's going to happen. And I, I've read the book. I don't agree with much of the book. But there's an element of I, I can I can genuinely say and look at the author and go, this was his experience of our God. This was his um, relationship that he had with our Creator, and now it's kind of been turned into this formula that everybody else can use. And I, I, what so we're good at is selling formulas. Yeah, Dave. Uh, that is definitely true. And I don't think that's you know well intentioned, but. I don't think it's the best way to go about uh, finding good Christian books. And <laughs> yes. All right. Yo, real quick, I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Uh, there's this, if you're, if you're looking for a list of solid books on theology, there is this, uh, I think it's like a, it's a really, really long curriculum, but it essentially puts you through all of the theological classics and uh, old and new. And it, when you're done reading it, you'll have read like six feet of theology, but you'll know your stuff. Um, and so I'll link to that uh, as well, because I have that sheet. I have that curriculum. I have about half the books and I've read probably four of them. So I I I had good intentions, and and then Netflix happened. <laughs> so yeah, my yeah theology and chill doesn't have quite the same ring as Netflix and chill does, unfortunately. That's true. My children can't comprehend watching a TV show and then waiting a week for the next episode to come out. They literally are like, "How do you do that? How do you wait a whole week to find out what happens <laughs> instead of watching twelve seasons in a week?" Uh, yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> I don't think they've actually dare done say that, prolific. But... <laughs> but all right, let's get back to the main topic. So, anyways, I started all that um, by saying that, or by meaning to say that, um, this these two topics are what Owen s- starts out with, and he rattles off a whole bunch of scriptures. And I think we just are going to walk through those, so the Bible can inform us as to why this is important. Um, so. Well, let me, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah, go. Because, because here's, 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 <laughs> this is what I'm going to say. This doesn't make sense. From, from the get-go, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I have, I have a difficult time just logically understanding that. Seems like a terrible idea. It seems like a terrible idea. And, and you can even, you know, 
draw it out to the most extreme conclusion of Jesus dying for our sin is this cosmic child abuse that God... <laughs> by some sick, vindictive psycho, right? By yeah. some vindictive... And uh, so, you know, even though studying this, I can arrive at a place where I'm like, okay, I understand it, or I, I feel like I can grasp it and sort of get my brain around it a little bit. Theologians and some of the great minds throughout history... Anybody who genuinely takes a look at Christ dying on the cross for our sins has to say, this is crazy. This is outlandish. This is just, you know, if you've lived in America and if you've lived in a world where talking about Easter and Good Friday and the resurrection and all that kind of stuff, it, 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 it becomes somewhat normal. Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But if you really sit and contemplate it, which I guess in a sense I'm maybe suggesting you folks do as we embark on talking about this, that um, if you really heard this for the first time, it, it should it, it should be one of the most just, what? <laughs> you know, there this just does not make sense. So... While we embark on, on Scripture, and we hopefully can arrive at a point, it really just does require the Holy Spirit moving within us to help us comprehend this, um, because it is, um, is uncomprehendable a word? Incomprehendable. No, it's, I think it's un... It's uncomprehendable. Yeah. All right. So sure. anyway, I interrupted we're gonna, you. We're going to go with that. Well, I, I think, too, that... The the mental hurdle it takes to say I'm a sinner is a huge hurdle. Most people will say I'm a good person when their lives are full of sin. Me right. included. I think I'm a good person. I'm a sinner, right? Yeah. Uh, but to then say this guy had to die because I do bad things. No way. I don't buy that. Like, so, I mean the, from the outside of not understanding why it was done and just saying like, hold up, I'm not that bad. Sure. I might be a little selfish and sure. I look out for number one, but I'm, I'm a good, nice person. I don't steal. I don't rob. I don't, you know, kill people like, I go to work and I hang out and have fun on the weekends. Like I'm, I'm a normal, no one needs to die to save me. I don't need that. Right. Like it, it seems a bit extreme if right. you're coming Absolutely. from the perspective of like, I'm all right. Yeah. I, you know? and I can, I can genuinely say even as a teenager, I was a little bit offended by the whole concept of the cross. Like I was like, I'm not that bad. Yeah. I don't need well, anyone to die for me. Like, yeah, chill out with that. And, and quit guilt tripping me. And uh... Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so so from, from that perspective of I'm doing all right, this, this Jesus guy seems like an interesting fella. He did some cool stuff, but cool it with the you need to die for me business. I almost like, you know, Jesus in, in scripture refers to himself as a stumbling block. Like, the barrier to entry of Christianity is it's kind of high. Like Jesus asks a whole lot of people. It's, it's not just a come on in. It's warm and fuzzy in the jacuzzi guys. Let's <laughs> hang out. It's no, you have to admit that you have sinned. And that means that I'm required to pay for that sin. You have to pay for it or I have to pay for it. I've already paid for it. And here's how I did it. But you have to accept that. Yeah. And that's a huge hurdle for people to cross mm -hmm. because you have to have a stark realization of the reality of the universe. And a lot of people are not comfortable with that. No, not at all. <laughs> and that's, I mean, Jesus, when he, when he said he came to separate mother from daughter and son from father and brother, because some people are going to choose his answer and some people are going to reject it. Mm -hmm. And he knew that coming in. So, all right.
Sword drill time, Dave. Yes. All right, so the first uh, scripture is Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where it says, the Son of Man came to seek and serve the lost. So we're trying to figure out, why did Jesus have to die for our sins? What, what was his purpose for coming to earth? Why did he show up and do all the stuff that the Bible says that he did? Mm-hmm. And first and foremost, it was he came to seek and serve the lost. So the people that he dies for, he came to find them, and he came to serve them. Mm-hmm. And if you're at all familiar with what scripture says, you see this play out in his ministry on earth, how he serves, uh, how he seeks out his disciples, then how he serves them when he's with them, how he seeks out the woman at the well, or how he uh, uh, seeks out what's his face in the tree, Nicodemus, uh, right? Uh, Zacchaeus. Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee <laughs> little man. Anyways, um these, you know, what are often referred to as divine appointments where he goes out of his way to find this person or that person or be in this situation, uh, like asleep on the boat when the storm's raging. He did that on purpose, right? He, he sought out an opportunity. And one of the ways that he served the lost was by going to the cross. And we're going to get there, but have this framework in mind that that Christ came to seek out the people that need him and to serve them. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, at a base level, that was what he came to do. Um, next is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If I was ever to get a Bible verse tattooed on my body, Dave, that one might be it. Really? For a number of reasons. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, meaning take this to the bank. Everybody should accept what I'm about to say as true, because it is. Yeah. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to seek and serve the lost, of whom I am the foremost. Like that would be the that should be my daily reminder every day. <laughs> what you're about to read is trustworthy and you should accept it. Jesus came to save sinners of whom you are the worst. Yes. Have a great day at work, Cam. Like it, it's such a concise, clear deliverance of the truth of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Listen up, pay attention. Jesus came to save you because you're a terrible sinner. Yep. And um, to maybe go back to that whole, uh, no one needs to die for me. I'm not that bad kind of a thing. I think that's a natural first reaction to like hearing like, whoa, totally unnecessary. Right. But then when you realize when you're on the other side of, of understanding why it was done, he didn't do it because he wanted to point out how bad you are. Like you were like, you know, an angry parent. You you were so bad and because of that your punishment is this that and the other thing, right? No, it's like, okay, yeah, you guys screwed up royally, big time. Mm-hmm. You you broke you broke the rule you can't break. And the only way to solve that is for me to do what I have to do, but I'm not doing it to shame you or to punish you. I'm doing it because I love you and I want to undo the wrong that you've done so that we can still be together. That shifts the perspective of, I don't need you to die for me. I'm fine to wait a minute. You're willing to go through that because you want to be with me. You're, you're willing to go through that trial, through that sacrifice to come get me. Mm-hmm. That changes things when you realize that it's about love and desire and relationship and not a, you suck so hard, I'm stuck doing this. <laughs> that, the, the, the tone changes considerably, I yes, think. Yes, very much so. Oh, man, I'm getting fired up, Dave. Keep going. Um. Up next, Matthew chapter 20, 28. We're back in Matthew, David. Feels so comfortable. <laughs> Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is this is the first verse that we've talked to where 
the idea of ransom and giving his life comes up. But again, he came not to be served by us. He came to serve us. He came on a mission to accomplish a goal. To give his life as a ransom for many. Dave, what is what is uh, giving something as a ransom mean? What's what's maybe a more modern term? A more modern term of ransom? Well, I guess I, ransom's a fairly <laughs> modern term. I don't know. I just don't hear it unless it's in a you know a cop movie. I was gonna say I'm thinking. Uh, I'm not rich enough to ever been held for ransom. So. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's the idea of. Um, I'm going to hold on to you uh, because there's some value in who you are and people will pay to get you. And so there's, there's this exchange of uh, letting somebody live, letting somebody, you know, uh, get their freedom back. Uh, but the, in order to do that, the ransom or there is a cost that is paid uh, for that person to regain their life, to regain their freedom. And yeah. Well, that's the, I really like to regain. It's something that, that we had, right? Right. And then Adam and Eve, you know, broke that off real quick. Um, but that, that God is, as uh, Jesus giving his life as a ransom for many. So his, his, his life is so valuable. His sacrifice is so great and is worth so much that he is able to help many regain what they had once had, which was a proper standing with God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think of it in that ransom term, it means that, that we've been kidnapped, right? And in this instance, it's by Satan. He's, he's holding all of us hostage, mm-hmm. uh, giving us nice, sweet little treats to keep us occupied, you know? And in order to save us and bring us back home, to where we belong, that we so we can regain our our standing. They've got a they've got a swap prisoners essentially, and it's uh, um, Lion Witch in the Wardrobe movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the book came first, but um, when Aslan goes to sacrifice himself, and uh, you know the Ice Queen or whatever her name is kills him on the table. And they all celebrate like, oh, we did it. Like, what an idiot. We, we totally got him to walk in here and sacrifice himself. Like, oh, we win. Evil rules. And then, you know, the girl comes and she's crying and it's heartbreaking. And then he wakes up and you're like, whoa. <laughs> it's, it seems like the devil has won at the cross, right? Even when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, are, are we sure this is the right thing to do here? Um, but that, that he would walk into that situation and the devil thinking, man, this God guy's not as smart as I thought he was. He's willing to kill himself for these creatures. Right. Takes the, you know, the bait hook, line and sinker and Bob's your uncle. Jesus wins. (laughs) Which is, you know, the second half, which we'll get to about why it's important that he actually did come back from the dead. Um, so Jesus came to ser- seek and serve the lost and to give his life as a ransom for many to help them regain their freedom that they had long ago. All right, Galatians 1, 4. Uh, Jesus who gave himself for our... Oh, that's a typo. Autocorrect. Uh, he gave himself for our something to deliver us uh, from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Okay, so here we pick up this was God's will. God sent him to do this. And so this mission that, that Jesus is sent on kind of is like, you know, a black ops Navy SEAL coming to infiltrate the enemy compound and save the hostages. I just ruined the whole Bible. I'm sorry. That's terrible. <laughs> I regret saying that. Um, but the will of God who, according to the Bible, is the creator of all things has been around forever. will be around forever. It's not going anywhere, but the one who crafted this whole universe and everything within it sent Jesus to save the people that betrayed him. 
and then we get to this is an interesting passage because when I read it in the book, I was like, this doesn't have anything to do with what why Jesus died, but bear with me here for a second. It's Ephesians five. Well, and I think it probably has more to do with what the purpose of this verse is than what it tends to be used for. And today. that's why at first I was like, <laughs> what is he talking about? And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. And so this is Ephesians five verses 25 through 27. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. All right, Dave, why don't you tell me why this has a lot to do with why Jesus died? <laughs> so basically, what I, what I would say is, is get rid of the first four words of this verse. Just completely strike out, husband, love your wives. That's not going to go over too well, Dave. <laughs> just, just strike those five out. Yeah, it's probably not. But... That is, that is where we get hung up. We get hung up on the husbands loving your wives. And if you just really focus... <laughs> Which, for the record, is a really good thing to is, do. Is a really good thing. <laughs> a really, really good thing. <laughs> but again, I think that's where we... But we, we miss the, uh, the Christ love. And so if you just basically say, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy without blemish. There's just such this, there's, there's this intimacy that is going on there uh, between Christ and uh, the church and the amount of love that he has. And it's, it is just this, um, it, it's so deep and it's so powerful um uh, that it's it's just like this this longing of what he wants for us, and um, that she will be holy and without blemish. And so, basically, what we have here is we have uh, the forgiveness of sin and what Christ did for the church. And ultimately, in my opinion, this is this is what love is all about. This is uh, putting the other person first, and so desiring that person to be in the right relationship that they were created for. This is what happened. And so we take that and then we go back and we say, this is the example that we should look to when it comes to husbands loving your wives. And so... So we can add those words back we in. We can right? add those, those words back in. But it's really that element of let's start with Christ and what he did and go, oh, okay, we need to be striving uh, uh, for that. And it, it is this element of... Um, I don't think he did it out of obligation. I don't think he did it out of, uh, God sent me to do this. It is truly an act of love. It is a desire to be in right, in the right relationship with his church, with his believers, with the people that follow him. And in order for that to happen, the sins have to be, uh, washed away and to be made holy and without blemish. So. I don't know that I did that justice, but well, no, I mean, I I think you did just fine, Dave. <laughs> First you. of all, I think you did just fine. Um, but I I come back to you know the the discussion we were having earlier about why does someone need to die for me? Like that just seems like a really terrible idea. Mm -hmm. I'm fine, and and when you read something like this, it begins to hopefully, if the Holy Spirit's moving in you and you are. Um, receptive to the idea of being loved like this because everyone feels like they're a good person until somebody starts loving them like this and then they feel like they're not worthy of that mm -hmm. love because of all of the baggage they have. Right. And it's, it's really interesting how we have those opposite reactions where like when we, when we, you know, go the whole Jesus died for you, people can be like, I, I don't need that. I'm fine. I'm good. But then when we, when, we start talking about this sort of love and care and desire. That's when people feel unworthy of mm -hmm. that sort of attention. And it's just weird how we have those opposite reactions. Yeah. Um, well, and I would say if, if somebody has led a life where they feel like they've made bad decisions and they are a disappointment and they haven't lived up to their potential or, or whatever that may be. And then they hear that Christ died for their sins. 
that there could be that reaction and there is for some people of I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their first reaction may not be, well, I'm fine. I don't need it. Their first reaction very much is I'm not worthy of that. Why would anybody die for me? I'm not worthy of being died for. That's true. So I, I definitely think there's that element depending on how you, you know, life prior to Christ for all of us is different. Yeah. So uh, to kind of wrap this, this, section up. So God came or Jesus came to seek and serve the lost to give his life as a ransom for those people so that he could present those people free of blemish, spotless, pure in splendor to himself on the other side. So it does have that rescue mission feel, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the last verse for this section, uh, well, that's not technically true, but the last one we get to before, uh, a concluding thought for this section is from Titus chapter two verses uh, verse fourteen. Uh, Jesus, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own position possession, who are zealous for good works. And there's the idea of redemption there, which perfectly encapsulates Christ's goal mm-hmm. to you know to to give himself as ransom, to redeem, to bring back and make right and restore uh, our eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, so these, uh, this next, this next thing is uh, just a quote from John Owen's conclusion. Um, after after working through all these verses, he says, um, "Thus clear then and apparent is the intention and design of Christ and His Father in this great work." even what it was and toward whom, namely to save us, to deliver us from the evil world, to purge us and wash us, to make us holy, zealous, fruitful in good works, to render us acceptable and to bring us unto God. For through him we have access to the grace in which we stand, which is Romans 5.2. And kind of my thoughts there. So this, this leads us to the end state of Christ's redemption of his people, the reconciliation with God. Uh, the enmity or the strife or the issues that were between us and him has been removed and slain, uh, allowing us to live in harmony with God. We're no longer his enemies. We're not at odds with one another. Rather, we are family walking together in relationship towards the same goal. And uh, if that doesn't sound good to you, <laughs> then I'm sorry, because you're missing out. And, you know, we really don't want you to. No. So, just something to consider. Um, Gosh, there's even more verses down here. The Bible's got so much good stuff in it, Dave. <laughs> uh Kind of on the theme of of redemption and and reconciliation, Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So if God's going to reconcile us when we were enemies, imagine what he's going to do with us when we're friends. Yes. Um. Again, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Um and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That might be another one of my favorites. Yep. Not counting the trespasses of the world against them, but reconciling, reconciling them to himself nonetheless. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. The sum of all this, according to John Owen, is the death and bloodshed of Jesus Christ hath wrought and doth effectually procure for all those that are concerned in an eternal redemption consisting in grace here and glory hereafter. I want to talk like that. (laughs) But why did Jesus have to die for our sins? So that we can be with God in our right place. Yes. Because he loved us, because he wants to be with us, because he doesn't want to condemn us to eternal punishment, because he does not want to see his creation suffer by their own hands. So he did something about it. Yes. All right. Part one's done. (laughs) So my question is, is we're, we're going to talk about, um, does it matter if he was raised from the dead? And when Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is finished. So if it was finished when he was on the cross, what was finished? Because he hadn't raised from the dead yet. Correct. He had not raised from the dead yet, but the sacrifice had been made. You know, because... He said, it's finished, and, you know. And he died. See you later. So something, something was accomplished on the cross right. without him raising from the dead. Correct. The, the um, what's what I'm looking for? Um, the payment, the, the ransom, the atonement, the fulfilling of God's wrath needing to be quenched, right? This is the, the cost, the transaction was made, the money switched banks, whatever <laughs> metaphor you want to use. Imputation. Yes. The the righteousness of Christ was imputed to his people when the sacrifice was made. Yes. So when he says it's finished, God has been satisfied. Our our sins are covered in our his sins blood. are forgiven, yeah. Yeah. It's we're we're good with that. And that's you know, I, I think as is we're talking about this, this is one of the things that um I think we lose we lose sight of and, and our focus gets skewed is we have this idea that a loving God is a rainbows and sunshine and sunflowers and happiness and it's all good and it's cheery and we and it's but our God is 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 also a just God and he is a holy God. And you know, I'm just I'm reminded of um, is it the cherubim that say, holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty? You know, it's not love, love, love is our Lord God Almighty. Cute happy, happy, teddy happy. Bears. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> he's, he is a holy, holy God. And so a holy God, there has to be justice done. And I think if, if anybody looks at, at life in the world that, that we live in, um, the concept of justice is not difficult uh, for us to understand. It's one of the reasons why we cheer for the underdog in a movie. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of behind the, the emotion that we have in those sorts of things. So if you have a holy, perfect God, then his justice is going to be a very, very high standard. And as we've seen here, the, the standard was the death of a perfect person which Jesus was the only one who was qualified uh, to do that. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm quoting somebody else here, and I can't remember who I've, I've heard said this, but, you know, a, a lot of times people will say, I don't want to believe in a God that does X, Y, and Z, or my God would never condemn somebody for blah, 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 blah. Well, ultimately, when it comes down to it, your God doesn't exist. That's not a real God. Uh, you can't. <laughs> Just take the loving and the happiness without the holiness and without the justice, and that's why his death 
was necessary. So, all right. Ranting and raving. Not yet complete. <laughs> all right. So, so it does matter that he raised from the dead. I, I, I think so. I think well, so, that's, too. That's why I put yes in all caps right there. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're going to go back to Romans here because that book's pretty good. I was thinking about that. I was like, man, when we get done with Matthew, what should we do? Romans. Romans might be fun. Might be fun. There's not a whole lot of, there's no red letters there, but it's no. okay. There's a lot of other really good ones. Dave, Dave just shook his head. <laughs> I did shake my head. He, it's radio, Dave. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Romans 6, 1 through 11. That can't be right. That doesn't look like 11 verses. Anyways, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Uh, we were buried, therefore, with him uh, by baptism into death. That's a typo, too. I hate autocorrect. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Yes. So, if I'm understanding Paul correctly here, which, you know, especially in Romans is always questionable because the dude's got like sentences within sentences within sentences and ideas on top of ideas. And it's, it's, I'm just glad it's in English. Um, but he's saying that because Christ died a death for us and we are with him in that, he did it on our behalf. And because he then rose from the dead after that, that we are going to rise with him. So if we are with him in his death, then we are with him in his life. Mm -hmm. he, he, he connects with us there. And uh, that's an interesting concept because he actually died and was actually dead and was actually in a hole in a rock for a few days. And then he actually came back to life, walked out of said tomb, and as we'll see here later, showed himself to a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I have yet to physically die. I have yet to physically sit in a tomb, and I have yet to physically come back from the dead. So how, how am I with Christ in his death and then with Christ in his life? Uh, I, I feel like there's... I'm I'm kind of playing dumb here, but I feel like it's a, it's something that we need to elaborate on, perhaps, to better understand what Paul's saying. Um, yeah, I I think there is a, you know, this is not just a a metaphor here. Um, that truly, there is going to be a resurrection. Um, after our death, that is the result of um, him raising from the dead after his crucifixion. Then there is the, uh, much like we talked about last week, uh, the dying of self and the, and the picking up of our cross. And that is um, dying to our old self, our sinful self, accepting him as our Lord and Savior, allowing him to um, that... You know, he there was a gift on the cross, and kind of that old adage of if it's a gift, you actually have to reach out and take it to receive it. And so, uh, him dying on the cross isn't just a okay, it takes effect for everybody here on out. We definitely have that um, freedom to, to choose him or not to choose him. And so, that's where that other piece of, of being in his death is, is we choose that and we choose to, um, repent 
And repent literally means to go the other direction from what we're going. So turn from our old way and and walk towards Him. And uh, so we are dead to sin and alive to Him, and we live our life in Him versus in sin. And uh, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day because while I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and <laughs> repented of my sin, as we've said before, still a sinner. So I don't know if I answered that question either. That's all right. <laughs> I like cliffhangers. Uh, in Romans again, Romans 4, verse 25, uh, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And as I was just reading that a few minutes ago um, in my in my head, I had the the thought of Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 5, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And I wonder if this is God's version of that. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Look, I killed him. Or rise, yeah. get up, and go home. Yeah. Which is exactly what Jesus did. Exactly. And so I kind of wonder if if that was God's way of like... <laughs> Foreshadowing. Well, that and then doing it with Jesus, like, look, Which your sins are forgiven. Easier. Here's the proof. Right. This dude was dead. Yeah. So I kind of wonder if it was that sort of, uh, you know, uh, illustration of like a, a, a good, you know, word picture of... I kind of mean it when I say I can do this. <laughs> Your sins are forgiven, and here's the proof. Here's the proof. Yes, I, I believe that is true. So, uh, another passage, and this one's really long, and so I'll try and break it up into a few different things. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is just totally loaded with stuff about the resurrection and its importance and stuff. So it starts out like this. Um, for I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died, um, man, my typos. For are, our sins. For our, mine says sense. Uh, yeah. I gotta, I gotta start reading a real Bible and not the one I type. <laughs> uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, um, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Which is Paul's way of saying, go ask him. Yeah. You think I'm making it up? Go talk to the ones that saw it. First person. Uh, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. <laughs> Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, uh, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your your Labor is not in vain. It's a lot there. Yep. A lot there. But the whole concept of the resurrection. It matters. It matters because <laughs> if Christ didn't come back from the dead, there's no proof that our sins are forgiven. Yeah. 
And if he didn't come back from the dead, you know, then technically are our sins still forgiven? Yeah. But do we have something to hang our hat on as the most unique thing to ever happen in history? Yeah. Yeah, we sure do. Hang a big old hat on that one. Yep. Nothing else like it. Yeah. There's uh, really no other religion where the major figure is humiliated and crucified and killed and raises from the dead. Um, there's a focus on works and our effort to get there and not on his grace. So yeah, it is not like anything else out there. And I think that's, um, you know, central to God and his holiness and his justice, I think there is this element of God doesn't have to do it the way we would do it because he's God. (laughs) And the way we would do it would certainly come back to bite us. Yes. But yeah, so I mean, just the the idea of the resurrection being important is... uh, Absolutely. it, it It is proof that God accomplished on the cross, what he set out to do. Yes. It is proof that Jesus is different in every way from anybody else claiming to have knowledge of the eternal. Mm -hmm. It is proof that God has the ability to save. Mm -hmm. It is proof that he has power over all things. Mm-hmm. It is proof that Jesus came here for a purpose and everything that he did was to accomplish that purpose. Yes. It is proof that God is trustworthy. Even when it seems insane, when he asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, when he asks Noah to build an ark, when he asks Paul, of all people, to become the greatest evangelist the church has ever seen, (laughs) when he asks people to do things, going back to the resurrection is proof. Not that he's going to make everything sunny and he's going to make all the pain go away, but it is proof that his promises come true and that ultimately he has an end that glorifies himself planned. You know, uh, all the disciples, they all got killed. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not fun. That's not sunny. And I don't think that they were necessarily expecting God to make their lives easy, but they stayed true in the end to the truth that they knew. And, I don't know. Jesus Jesus without the crucifixion. Great story. Sins are still forgiven cuz it's finished on the cross, right? But Jesus coming back from the dead sends a whole nother message. Yeah. I think. Yep. And, you know, if you want to refute that the resurrection ever happened, that's your choice. We'll find out someday. You know? So, Jesus died on the cross and came back to life as more than an example of what love is like, um, as a living, breathing Savior to the people that choose to accept it. And we really hope that you're one of those people. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Genuinely, honestly, hope that you are one of those people. See you guys next week. See you.